welcome you to this session five of Searching Issues. Um, and this has been a, a great journey for me personally. Um, and uh, it's uh, given me an opportunity to share a lot of my own journeys, uh, but it's also given me uh, an opportunity to learn a lot of things and uh, have a way of formulating these things and figuring out a way to say these things in a way that is uh, hopefully respectful to everyone. Um, before we get going today, we're really happy to announce that uh, we'll be able to do the weekend away, uh, June 16th and 17th. It's a Friday, Saturday. If you want to stay this Sunday uh, for your own leisure, that we would encourage you to do that and to have a good time and so on. But the program will sort of run from, uh, from Friday night to Saturday night. Um, the location is that uh, we have two places and we're just sussing out uh, just what, what you know, the amenities they have and stuff like that to be, uh, to be sure we pick the best, uh, the best thing. The two topics that uh, are left that we haven't discussed that seem to be uh, uh, the most popular when we did the poll initially was what about sex before marriage and what is a Christian attitude towards homosexuality or uh, LGBTQ or however you would like to say that. Um, the cost will be somewhere slightly upwards of $80 per person. Um, and the way we do these things here downtown is the church um, is happy to absorb that cost um, to make it accessible for everyone to come. And we leave it as a sort of suggested donation so people want to know how much these things cost so you know. Um, but it's more important for us that people come than that people pay. Of course, if you can, you know, that's very much appreciated. Um, and if you feel it on your heart, to give more, then maybe you could help pay the way of somebody who, who, who came and, you know, due to somewhat, somewhat due to your generosity, either directly or indirectly, the generosity of all of the people here downtown is what allows us to do that. So, without any sort of further announcements, let's dive into our next question. What about other religions? I really have to start this with a disclaimer, and I wanted to be sure that I said it right, so I actually wrote it down. If you forgive me, I'll read my own, my own disclaimer. This conversation must begin, and we must maintain throughout it, untarnished respect. Any comparison is not intended in any way to put down any other faith or belief, but rather, with all due respect, to acknowledge differences. By giving this talk, I'm confessing to be hopelessly intrigued by what other people's beliefs in the world are. I'm in no ways pretending to be an authority on any other religion than Christianity, and even in Christianity, I'm constantly learning and discovering actually how little I know. Also, this is part of the disclaimer, it's important to separate what religions say about themselves from what their adherents, nominal or devoted, actually do. People behave in a certain way which may or may not be what the religion actually says about itself. It may be best to begin with what religion actually says about itself, and then tackle a second question, what about the people of other religions? Which is a different question, and we'll discuss both. 
So that said, it's commonly felt in many Western countries and societies that Christianity is dying, that churches aren't as full as they used to be, that pews are, are emptier, that churches are selling and being turned into a variety of different venues, lofts, um, theaters, and so on. That said, um, this is a, a, a pie graph of religions um, in, in the world. And in 2010, Christianity was still the largest religion with 2.2 billion adherents. That's nearly a third, 31% of the population of the world um, was from a Pew report. Islam was second with 1.6 billion adherents, 23% of the world. Atheism was only 4.5%. In Canada, you may ask, Christianity is just over 22 million people, which is two-thirds of the population of Canada, Roman Catholics being the largest denomination of 12.8 billion, or almost 39% of the population of Canada. Um, followed by that is people who say they have no religion at all at 24%, and then followed by Islam, which is 3.2%. So, we who are Christian are forced to, to realize and examine and ask and question what about people of other religions and what about those other religions themselves. Let us begin with a subsidiary question is what about Jesus? Is Jesus the only way to God? Jesus clearly says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. St. Peter and St. John, in the beginning of the book of Acts, when they meet a man who um, is paraplegic and heal him, say to him, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he is healed, and salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. St. Paul says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and that is Jesus Christ. And again he says, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? For this conversation, I'm going to just reiterate what I said in the disclaimer. We're going to examine what religions, including Christianity, say about themselves. Not um, necessarily what they say about each other. This is what Christianity says about itself. Henry Bernard Levin, who was um, an English journalist and argued it, uh, in the, it was written about him in, in the Times um, that he was the, the most famous journalist of his time, says, I take it that religion, a religion which claims to be following the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, must even if only by a process of elimination think that other religions are, for all their holiness and worship, mistaken. I, of all people, should not bandy scripture with experts, but in these in ecumenical days it is surely reasonable to ask Christianity what its founder meant when he said, none shall come to the Father but by me. And I'll just continue the quote. I do not offer those words to give offense, but many a devout Christian is worried by them, and many a bishop opening his heart to other faiths must be hard to put and provide an answer. I doubt you will get a very convincing answer anywhere. Bishop or no bishop, says this 
the famous columnist. What a bold claim, the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. How can that be justified? Well, let's look at that claim a little bit more deeply. If we look at Jesus and what is said about Jesus in Christianity, we'll find that Jesus is very unique as a, as a spiritual leader or religious leader compared to all other religions. He's unique in his qualification, how he is described. He's unique in his achievements, and he's unique in his resurrection. We'll look at those things just a little bit more deeply. We find that Jesus is described as holy, the righteous one, the author of life, the one whom the prophets foretold. Never has it, never has it been said about any other religious leader by their own religion. Like, I'm not saying other religions say about them, but in their own religion, no one has said that about their religious leader, right? About Muhammad, about Buddha, about Moses, and so on. It's not even clear whether Buddha believed in the existence of God as such. Quoting from another uh, famous work, and as I've learned from uh, one of our converts, earlier classic Buddhism had no God at all. Jesus is unique in his achievement. St. Peter, when he's preaching in the book of Acts, says salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved. No other religion claims to have a savior. In Christianity, we believe that we all need a savior because we all have sinned and we all need to be saved from that sin and mostly from the behaviors which lead us to that sin, i.e. we need to be saved from ourselves. None of the other great religions, or mainline religions, shall we say, claim to have a savior, or do they say about themselves? Buddha is not thought of as a, as a savior, but rather he's thought of as a teacher. Muhammad is not thought of as a savior, he's thought of as a prophet. Jesus is unique in his resurrection. St. Peter, again, in his, in his um, uh, great speech and, and his defense, says, describes Jesus as the one whom God raised from the dead. This is an, a unique event in history. It has never been written about someone being raised by the dead solely by God, not by anyone else, in all of history and in all mainline religions. It's a unique event. Buddha himself is not considered to be present with his followers, but his Dhamma, his teaching, is their guide. Muhammad died and is buried, and people do pilgrimages to go and visit him where he is buried. Moses died and angels buried him, but he is dead and buried as well. So, the truth. If Christianity says that Jesus is the truth, does then that mean that all other religions are wrong? So all of them are a write-off. Like, all of them are demonic, or worthless, or carry no value at all. No, absolutely not. In fact, what, what is believed in Christianity, and what Jesus says about himself, is that the ultimate truth, the absolute truth, is revealed in Jesus Christ and in him alone. However, truth can certainly be found and observed elsewhere. 
And we should expect to find truth in other religions for at least three reasons. The first is that truth is revealed through creation. The second is that humans are made in the image and likeness of God. And the third is that every heart hungers for God. Again, I'm presenting, I'm presenting Christian beliefs and teachings, right? I respect your beliefs and your teachings, whatever they may be and wherever they may, may come from. But I can only speak about that which I know. All three of these things are things that all human beings have access to. So if these are sources of truth, other than the absolute source of truth, which is Christ, then people who have access to all these three three things, which are all people, also will observe some truth. Let's talk about creation. In the book of Psalms it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Sir Isaac Newton says, In the absence of any other proof, the thumb alone, the thumb alone would convince me of God's existence. St. Paul says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Many of the other fathers, St. Athanasius, St. Cyril, all talk about how the people who were before Jesus saw God and learned God and who he was through his creation. Secondly, it is believed in Christianity that humans are created in the image and likeness of God. So they are a reflection of God himself. So necessarily, they reflect true attributes of God and they reflect things that are true about God. A simple example of that is our conscience. In Romans chapter 2, it talks about how people who don't know the law have a certain law written in their hearts, which either excuses them of their actions or accuses them of their actions, which I think is a very eloquent definition of the conscience. The golden rule. The golden rule is found in many mainline religions, in fact, all of them, right? And finds, has some roots in Christianity, do do unto others as you would have them do to you, Matthew 7. The parable of the prodigal son is present in Buddhism as a parable. There are stories that are similar of mercy and grace in Islam. These are truths that are common to humanity. They're almost anthropological. But they speak to They speak to God, and they speak to his character. Lastly, every heart hungers for God. St. Augustine says that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. In in one of the books of wisdom, in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, it says, God has set eternity in their hearts. One of my mentors and priests whom I love tells me, when people speak to you, listen. And look at them in the eyes. And when you look at a person in their eyes, you will see an eternal dimension to their personhood and realize that they are truly in the image and likeness of God. It is understandable, then, that you will find truth, some truth, in all religions. Bishop Leslie Newbegin, who was an Anglican bishop in South India, says this, 
An element of continuity which is confirmed in the experience of many who have become converts to Christianity from other religions. Even though this conversion involves a radical discontinuity, yet there is often the strong conviction afterwards that it was the living and true God who was dealing with them in the days of their pre-Christian wrestlings. God was alive and working in the, in the lives of people before they met him, before they knew him, and before they were able to recognize him. And many a person has spoken about that personally with me as well. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says the Church considers all goodness and truth found in other religions as a preparation for the Gospel and given by Him, that is God, who enlightens all people that they may at length, eventually that means, have life. But then are all religions equal? Well, forgive me, but that's kind of an illogical statement, right? To assert that all religions are equally true. Some world religions are avowedly non-theistic. And if a religion does not believe that a God exists, it's a, a little bit of a stretch to think that then it can then lead you to God. It's absurd to suggest that religions which have contradicting teachings, God exists and God does not exist, to then say that they are the same. That said, we're all fallen human beings, Christians and non-Christians, myself first and foremost. And none of us are in a place to judge any other person or their belief. We're simply talking here about religions themselves. We'll get to what about people of other religions shortly. There may be a dark side to some religions, and there may be a dark side to how people have used Christianity. And it may be considered arrogant or narrow-minded to think that there is one religion or one way of believing. That said, C.S. Lewis answers and says, If you are a Christian, you do not have to believe that all other religions are simply wrong all through. If you are an atheist, you do not have to believe that the main point in all the religions of the whole world is simply one huge mistake. If you are a Christian... You are free to think that all those religions, even, this was a word maybe appropriate in his time, queerest ones, contain at least some hint of truth. When I was an atheist, I had to try to persuade myself that most of the human race have always been wrong, but the question that mattered to them most when I became a Christian was able to take a moral liberal, I was able to take a more liberal view. But of course, being a Christian, does mean thinking that where Christianity differs from other religions, Christianity is right, and they are wrong. As in arithmetic, there is only one right answer to a sum. All other answers are wrong. But some of the wrong answers are much nearer being right than others. There was um, a convert to Orthodox Christianity who then later became a priest, to the great chagrin and disappointment of his mother, who was of a different religion, the religion he was born into. In response to her, he wrote a letter to her and told her mother, when walking home on a dark night in the city, there are many streetlights that light the way. Some of those streetlights are brighter than others. Would it not seem right to you to follow 
the brightest light as it appears to you if you're walking in the darkest night ever? That's what C.S. Lewis is saying. He's saying that if you are a Christian, you're not obliged to believe that everybody else out there is wrong, completely. And if you're an atheist, you're not obliged to believe that everyone else out there is wrong either. He's saying, however, as a Christian, it's easier to believe that there is some truth in all of these different beliefs. As an atheist, any of those beliefs which are based in God, which are most of them, you are forced to reject. And hence, he finds it much more liberating to be a Christian. But let's ask a deeper question which underlies all of this that is maybe even more trying for some people, which is what about people of other religions? Or otherwise said, what about those who have never heard about Jesus? If you can only be saved through Jesus, then is everyone else damned? Is everyone else going to hell? If so, is that not unjust? Let's look at a few considerations. The first is that this is a hypothetical question, and the Bible is not a philosophy book, but a practical book. It's a hypothetical question because you can only ask the question, what about people who have never heard about Jesus, if you have heard about Jesus? So hence, you have heard about Jesus. In fact, you've been sitting here listening to this talk for the last 18 minutes and 56 seconds. So you necessarily have heard. And so you necessarily are forced to make a choice, either to follow or to reject. So it's a hypothetical question, not an invalid one, but certainly not a practical one. The second thing is that God is just. Abraham has a conversation with God when God is telling him about his glorious plans for Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham asks God a question. He says to him, would you destroy the just with the sinners? And he goes into this bargaining process with God. Well, what if there's 40 righteous that live in Sodom and Gomorrah? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? What if there are only five? Would you destroy it? And God says, no, if there are only five, I would not destroy it. And as the story goes, again, whether you believe it to be truth or not, but it just reveals what is understood of the character of God in these Judeo-Christian religions, that God saves the righteous from the city. The third thing is that no one will be saved by their religion. We are saved by a savior, and a religion teaches us or guides us or gives us the means or the tools to interact with that savior to live a life with that savior, not a religion which saves you, a to-do book, do's and don'ts, and if you do the do's, you're saved, your religion has saved you, and if you do the don'ts, then you know, you're cooked. That's not, certainly not, what Christianity believes. The third thing is that it is possible to be saved by grace through faith, even if someone has never heard about Jesus. There are multiple examples, but I'll just take the ones that are obvious and that are scriptural. St. Paul talks about how Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Abraham came thousands of years or over a thousand years before Jesus. 
King David was about almost exactly a thousand years before Jesus, and the same thing is said about him. They were saved. They didn't even know Jesus, because Jesus only came a thousand years later. So it is possible to be saved without knowing Jesus, but it is through grace, and that's a whole other topic that we can discuss sometime. Jesus also tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector, a religious leader and a tax collector, who go to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee goes on and on about how good of a person he is, and thanks God for how good he is, and that he's not terrible like, like the evil extorting tax collector standing at the back of the temple, and leaves. The tax collector standing in the back of the temple looks down at his feet and says, God have mercy on me, sinner. And Jesus proclaims that the tax collector left justified. Presumably, in Jesus' time, neither the Pharisee nor the tax collector knew Jesus or knew that he was the Son of God, or knew him to be the Son of God. Yet they, Jesus says that the tax collector was justified. So there seems to be some critical, essential element of a, a God-given sense of sin or need or self-abasement and a complete reliance on God, not on oneself and certainly not on religion, to save us. Let me share another perspective with you, shared by St. Isaac the Syrian. St. Isaac the Syrian talks about the love of God and that paradise is the love of God. And that God, out of his great and extreme love, created all things. All the angels were created by God out of love. Some of those angels chose to exalt themselves against God and chose to worship themselves rather than worship God. And they were cast out. And those are now what we call demons. But St. Isaac reminds us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God never changes. So when the demons fell and prided themselves against God, God continues to love them. But they, having cut themselves off from that communion with God, are no longer able to participate in that love. They can see it, they just can't have it anymore. And that is the greatest remorse ever. And then St. Isaac continues to explain that love, returned with love, is probably the most exhilarating experience humanity can, can share. And love, returned with betrayal, is probably the most painful and regretful and remorseful thing that one could ever experience. So then St. Isaac asserts that heaven and hell are the same place, the place that is the fullness of the love of God. But those who return love with love judge themselves and find themselves in complete ecstasy and joy and exhilaration in the presence and the unbounded presence of God. And those who returned love with betrayal find themselves with no one to answer to except this great unending love of God, which they cannot escape 
and that for them is hell. So then, we are our own judges. We are the ones who look at the fullness of our lives with a perfect memory and see how we returned the love of God back to him. And when he says this, he says, but then all of us will necessarily look at some point and find a time where we chose ourselves, where we chose selfishness, rather than to return love for love. And we will all be filled with some degree of remorse. But it is God, only God himself, who then can come and comfort us. But if we have spent a lifetime rejecting God, then who will be able to comfort us at that point? So it's a, a different view. A different view. Other fathers talk about the same thing, talking about truth and lying. When someone lies to themselves and they say the lie over and over, they begin to believe it. And they follow, if they follow that with another lie and another lie, then they live in a world, a fabricated world, which is all lies. The last thing that person wants is the truth. When engulfed in truth, when engulfed in truth, those who have loved truth their whole life, whether they knew to put a name on it and call it Jesus or not, they will love it because they loved it and they sought it their whole lives. Those who have hated and rejected and turned away the truth, day after day, year after year, will then find themselves engulfed in truth and all the world fabricated of fabricated world of lies has has disappeared their whole world disintegrating under their feet another another author writes about the same thing about light jesus says i am the light of the world and that if you've ever had the experience of sleeping in a dark room with no windows and you wake up and you rush out into the hallway the first thing that happens is that you get blinded by the light However, if there is a little bit of light allowed to enter into the room, no matter how small, and you allow yourself some time to acclimatize to it, you'll be able to walk into the fullness and the, of the brightest light. If then I were to, to, to close my eyes here for the last time and open them on the other side, and be engulfed in light, engulfed in God, and engulfed in light, if I have spent my whole life closing the door to light, time and time and time and time and time again, I will be engulfed in light just as much as the fellow next to me. But I will find that light blinding, and I'll find that blindness ever so lonely. But if I have been approaching the light day by day, step by step, a little bit at a time, whether the news that that light brings speaks good about me or speaks change about me, needed change, needed improvement about me, but I love the light, then I will find myself living in revelation and learning and joy and ecstasy. There's a great video, if you want to watch, um, on YouTube called Love Wins. Just type in Love Wins Orthodox. I put it here, but for the sake of time, I'll keep going. So then, finally... What are we to do? Let's get practical. What should we do? If you, if you are a Christian, 
This is a suggestion of what Christians should do. Christians should share the good news. Early Christians, if they had not been willing to share the good news, there would be no Christianity outside of their generation. Christianity would not have come to us until this day. And the early church did not apologize for the fact that it wants all men to know Jesus Christ and to follow him. Neither should the church apologize for that now. The second thing is to respect everything and everyone. If we're going to have a meaningful conversation, it has to be founded in respect. Even Jesus, who thought of himself as God, whether you believe that or not, found it imperative to respect everyone, even the people who crucified him. To be humble, relationally sensitive, and emotionally intelligent. Bible thumping and truth vigilantes really have no part in this conversation. I shared a quote with you all last week that said that I'm not here to convert anybody. I'm simply here to witness to truths in which I delight and give life to my everyday. Another thing which we must do is to be positive. To find good in all, in all religions and in all people. And to present the truth. Sometimes it's helpful to present the truth in contrast to what you believe to be a lie. But most of the time, that is not necessary. It is sufficient to present the truth and to keep silent about the things that you would describe as untrue. The last thing is to be courageous. To be courageous and to be willing to step out there and to share what you really believe. And with that, I'll tell you, enjoy your discussions. God bless you.